Hey guys, welcome to podcast number 66. On this week's podcast, I have Molly joining me as well as Autumn, who was our medical support staff coordinator, to talk about the roles of the support staff here at Paw Health and kind of what they do from a fundamental level, but also how that integrates within our process. If you like what you see or you like what you hear today, let us know by throwing us a like, maybe drop a comment in the comment section to let us know what you think, or hit that subscribe button to stay in touch with everything that we are doing here at the podcast. All right. Let's get to it. To, to, to be on the podcast is not a chore, Molly. It is, it is not a chore, but it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'll do one. And now it's like, when are we doing the next? And oh, you're going to do one with Caroline now. And now yeah. we're doing one with Otto. Yeah. So. Speaking of which, we have a new guest on the podcast today, uh, Autumn Krieger. I hope I say your last name right. Yes, it's like the right. only way to say it as far as yeah. I'm concerned. I've half, half everybody says Krueger. Uh, so. Well, it's because you put a U in it. Yeah. So take it easy, Freddie. Germans, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the last podcast that you and I did with Caroline, we had referred to the idea. I think it might have been after because you texted me. It was like, hey, we have to talk about like what CVTs and what our medical support staff do. And then in podcast 65, when I had Katie and Caroline in here, talked a lot about staff shortages and went through a bunch of numbers and like where the deficiencies actually are and or inefficiencies and what we kind of found was that uh, so interesting statistic for the both of you um nationwide there the ratio of employed cvts to veterinarians is 0.6 to 1 so there's less technicians than there are doctors um, and, and, so, and so that was a big highlight. There's actually surpluses of doctors in like every state besides like five in small animal medicine. And yet it still seemed like there's just not enough hands to go around. So a lot of focus gets put on, put on doctors. There's like no statistics as it relates to medical support and technicians. And then I was like, okay, well, these two things coincide because I think a part of the reason that there's a shortage on these um, veterinary assistant, CBT, medical support staff, whatever you call them, people that aren't doctors and work in a treatment area, the reason that there's a shortage is because they don't know what it is. The reason that there's a shortage is because there's a fear of like, they're just going, especially from the internet culture that I see, there's a fear that they're just going to be completely taken advantage of and never get paid anything that they're worth. Um, but I don't know what those jobs are. And I don't know if everybody really understands the depth um, and the scope of those positions. So I really was hoping to have you guys kind of teach me what it is that you do. Fair enough? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Autumn, think of it like this. It's a working interview. Sure. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. So Autumn, I'll start with you. How do you explain what you do to your friends and your parents? To my friends and my parents. Yeah. Um, well, my grandparents 
like have no idea about anything and I try to explain it to them and they're just clueless. They just they don't understand that people bring their animals in on weekends. They don't understand mm-hmm. the night thing. Mm-hmm. They're just like it's a dog. Yeah. And that's not how I look at it at all. My dad's kind of similar to that. Mom, I just basically tell her, oh, we do some surgeries, we do your wellnesses, you know, ear infections. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's hard to explain exactly mm-hmm. because they're like, well, you know how to draw blood? Y- yes, <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, you know how to prep for surgery? For most of them, I can at least help. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not monitoring, but mm-hmm. I can help. You can, you can do like can 80% help you get of the work. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then once you get to like my friends and my siblings that are a little bit closer and kind of have a closer grasp on what's becoming the animal-human bond mm-hmm. that it was never previously, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like my sister and my brother, they'd both, if something happened to their animal, they'd be here at 2 a.m. on a Saturday. Like my grandparents, my parents, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so they get it a little bit more, mm-hmm. but... Um, I don't really go into depth, if I'm yeah. being honest. No, that's, I get it. I get it. Because especially when you think about it from a, if you because you kind of focus on the human-animal bond side of things, it can be hard. I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to be empathetic to different positions on the human-animal bond. Like, if you're higher, it's hard to understand or to even communicate in a way that's effective with somebody that is lower. It's just naturally difficult because you're kind of coming from a different place. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. Because you both look at each other like you're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So especially when when you start talking about like different things that you do for different cases, they're they're probably looking at you like, why? Like, why? Mm -hmm. Like, what? Why? Yeah. Like, and and there's a part of that process that I think um, could potentially even be like invalidating. Like, how much does that impact your psyche to have one of your relatives be like, is your job worth anything? Because I don't understand why it is that they're doing that. Yes. Yeah. My Well, my sister is a human nurse. Okay. So it's like... Yeah, so she there's, gets it. I'm not a, a nurse, but there's a comparison there, mm-hmm. human versus animal. And it's like, when it comes to my family, the older ones particularly, mm-hmm. it'll be like, oh, so you help save humans' lives. In autumn, she goes to work and she plays with all the cats and dogs. Oh, how do I hate that stereotype? I know, I know, I know, but it's so true. I mean, that is, it is a very good stereotype of what medical staff and CBTs do in a day. They're like, oh, well, all you do is play with puppies and kittens. And it's like, no. I wish we saw more puppies and kittens. I I wish we saw puppies and kittens that weren't. We're healthy. Yes, we're healthy. Minus like our wellness ones we see here and there, but a good majority of them are are sick. And it's like, don't. Like, you have, like, it's in yeah. isolation. Like, you can't go cuddle boundaries. with it. Yes, yeah. boundaries. Plastic <laughs> bubble, basically, yes. for animals. We actually talked about that. So, the podcast is going to be after this one. little preview, snapshot into the future. We recorded yesterday. Um, but I talked to Carlo and... Um, Wow, I'm drawing the (laughs) biggest blank of literally who sat next to me yesterday. But why do I want to say Ray? It was Rhiannon. Thank you, because it had been so long since she's been in here. (laughs) As Autumn loses her headphones and tries to break everything, I have a dainty little head. Sorry, (laughs) we can't have nice things. Um, we talked about that. Just completely lost my train of thought. Molly, you gotta pick. You gotta pick me up here. 
was a pre snapshot into the future with yes. Carlo and Ray. I got, I got it back. I got it back. <laughs> so we talked a lot about how, um, like, why Ray got into, um, you know, emergency side is, is that she's really prone to enjoying the reactive medicine and like here that's like 80 to 90 percent of what we do is reactive something is happening to a patient therefore we have to do something about it um 10 percent of what we do is proactive i think on the proactive side when you talk about wellness and preventative care and all that sort of stuff there's a big place for that and it really shouldn't be um discounted in any way but because of its predictability it is it's probably a little bit more prone to that puppies and kittens life right like and it's just it's more comfortable you can be more proximate to healthier animals and um, I can get that perception from people who have no context but also animals get sick a lot Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you got it. And to me, that's the only way that I, I phrase it. Cause everybody, especially because I don't actually work with patients at this point, they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I just help other people help patients because they need help. And I just want to help them help them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess Molly, you've been doing this longer and you're probably a little bit more direct in the way that you describe it to the people that are around you. How do you describe, especially when you were, we actually talked about it previously, when you talked to, to your, um, is, it, is Eric your boyfriend? Yes. Is, okay. I, I always forget what status the, the, you guys the, the are in. The poor man who can't get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, when you made the choice to go to school, mm-hmm. it was like, well, I'm just going to do this. Mm-hmm. So like, was there any justification behind that? And how did you describe what it is that you were going to go do? Um, I didn't really give him a very big description of what I was going to go do. He knew I had a love for animals um, because I've always wanted puppies and kittens. Well, now I have two cats, and Mm -hmm. as much as I love them, I can't (laughs) wait until I'm done with them. (laughs) When our journey is over, it will be welcomed and appreciated. Yes, there will be no more animals in my household after my two cats. But um, it was pretty much just, I'm going to go do this thing because when I was a kid, I did want to be a vet. And then, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, the far left... Yeah. Whatever direction I went, yep. stop that from happening. But describing my job to him is basically I say what I did and it has all the medical terms and he just looks at me and goes, uh-huh. I have no <laughs> idea what you just said. <laughs> Do you ever like simplify it for other people or that maybe ask or are curious? Uh, so I do simplify it if they do ask. Yeah. Um, so it's like, oh, we had this and this. Here's medical terms. And then I break it down. Like, this is what this meant. And this is what we did mm-hmm. for this said patient. But at the same time, it's like, I forget that there's that mm-hmm. language barrier between myself and then the general population of what's going on with their patients mm-hmm. or friends and family and trying to explain things to them. So, mm-hmm. And I can contest to that. I lived that life. You taught me all of the big words. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I mean, to go, like, you know, Molly, this is kind of your idea, so I'm hoping that yeah. you have questions for Autumn. But, like, again, like, mm-hmm. tell me... Tell me what it is that you want the world to know about what it is that you guys do. Like, why... Because I think what happens is um, there's a lot of complaining. There's a lot of blaming that happens like in the ether of I work in a vet clinic and I'm underappreciated. We're understaffed. I'm underpaid. Um, There's a lot of negativity on that front. But 
what I think that that is, is is just a symptom of not having a shared reality of what is actually happening so that we can get to a solution. Mm -hmm. Like I might, I will agree that there are limitations in problems that exist. However, what is the actual reality of what it is that you guys do? Uh, so I can do kind of do the CBT realm of it. I can let Autumn do the MSS stat, like realm of it. I know there is some things that do cross paths between CBTs and MSS. Um, I do know there are a lot of shortcomings that happen between perspective and reality of caregivers when they come in, mm -hmm. um, which is why we have such a high turnover rate or unfortunately the high suicide rate that our field <laughs> has. But as far as it goes for CVTs in a day, it's we're placing IV catheters, we're drawing blood, we're getting patients hooked up to fluids, we're getting medications drawn up. They're going into surgeries. We're the ones that are in there monitoring the patients when they're under anesthesia, catching when those vitals start trending downwards and they need rescue drugs coming in. We're recovering them. I don't know the day practice aspect of what yeah. CVT is doing that. I know mm -hmm. what we do here. Um, and the doctors do the surgeries. Mm -hmm. For the most part, it's I'm in there monitoring anesthesia. And if I start noticing something going bad, it's like, hey, I'm adjusting my fluids or I'm giving this medication to this patient or we're turning down ISO. And then once when they're off the table, it's like I'm in back recovering them. And the doctor is making that post-op phone call. Yeah. So you're you're kind of the the hands that cover the the front and the back of that mm -hmm. the, of the surgical process, yes. but also of the fulfillment process. It's like you're kind of just you're you're the here here's here's a comparison or a, a metaphor because I always think metaphorically um, you're the rifle that actually fires the ammunition. They might give you a doctor will give you the ammunition, mm -hmm. but uh, and and one can't work without the other. But in an ideal scenario, a, a, a doctor doesn't actually have to shoot. They just tell you how to shoot. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's kind of the same for the medical support side of it as well. And Autumn knows that extremely well because mm -hmm. I think you do everything I can do except for run anesthesia and write down euthanasias, euthanasias <laughs> and give, like give a, rabies vaccines. Yes. Yes. And, oh, yes. It's the good old <laughs> rabies vaccines. Yeah. Um, well, when it comes to medical support staff, there is such a wide range of skill sets here. So mm -hmm. some of our newer or less experienced medical support staff, they start with just like your animal handling. They will bring the patients up front when they're ready for discharge. We have a few that are here and they do not communicate with caregivers. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's what they're here for. They're here mm -hmm. for patient handling. They're here to help us in the treatment area. Mm -hmm. And then it works all the way up to, there's a few of us that are about ready to become technicians. And you, it's- You being one of those. Yes, I'm mm -hmm. just about there. <laughs> uh, but there's a few of us. And then when you get to that skill set, it's like, we can do quite a few things that you wouldn't think that we probably could. Mm -hmm. So we can do all of the vaccines minus rabies. <laughs> <laughs> we can still draw blood. We can run blood work um, set up for like your analysis. Mm -hmm. We can look at cytologies and things. Some like mostly they'll get checked over by somebody, but we can yep. at least like give it a go and practice. Mm -hmm. Like yesterday I was practicing blood smears for like 15 minutes because I need to work on those. Dude, that's, that's like, <laughs> I've been in this for six years and that is a skill I can't even. Uh, Trevor can't was eat. teaching me. I can't, I can't all master perfect. that. It's not fair. I, yeah, six years, still can't do it. Yeah. Heather, um, is this good? Yeah, I can see what I need to see. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then there's a lot of like, 
I feel like the medical support group does a lot of the estimate presentation, um, hospitalized paperwork, mm-hmm. all of that stuff, because that's usually delegated to you by the technician who's running triage. Yes. And that's mostly always a technician. Mm-hmm. So it's, hey, can you do this? And if you have questions, you just go back to your technician and mm-hmm. touch base, see if you mm-hmm. need help with anything. And no one's ever going to say no to help with something. So <laughs> um, there isn't ever any issue in that it's just there are so many different learning stages Mm -hmm. like if you took our medical support staff group that we're all at a different place it's we're all very individual Mm -hmm. yeah in where we are and that's that's an important piece of context for those that don't know who you are or what you do you do you are a medical support staff coordinator Mm -hmm. so you train everybody uh, in that role so you're taking basically like i've never touched anyone else's animals besides my own all the way up to you know, that, that like pre-technician phase. Yeah. That's actually a transition. I love, I love when people come in and I say, what's your experience with animals? Oh, I have a dog at home. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But like, that's where we're starting here. Mm -hmm. So it's like, get this patient out of the kennel and bring it up for an exam. Like that's your first thing. Mm -hmm. Put it on a leash. Bring it mm-hmm. up how to, to get, the doctor. How to get it safely out of a kennel? Yes, as well. exactly. <laughs> Cats. How to get a cat safely out of a kennel? I, <laughs> I've been lucky this weekend, and I have had all nice cats. Oh Not my gosh. one has tried to kill me yet. Well, okay, one tried to kill us, but sedation. I, yeah, uh, yeah yesterday we had a cat that was fired from their RDVM, and they are not welcome back there because their cat is so naughty. <laughs> we, we got drugs were, for that. They were the nicest caregivers. Oh. They were like, we understand. They called they called their cat the cat from hell. <laughs> they were like, we know that he's terrible. Please <laughs> help us. And I we were mean, like, yeah, absolutely. We just got to sedate him. I, mean, I need to meet these caregivers because I feel like I have a mutual like understanding with Casper were, and Yvette They were clinic. wonderful. <laughs> Uh, I refuse to uh, handle cats. The, uh, the 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 idea of when I when I heard that a horse was a two, a one ton cat, I was like, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense because yeah, horses are super erratic. They're just large. Mm-hmm. Also, cats are super erratic. They're just small. It's like they, they somehow they have a similar lineage way back in the evolutionary biology. They came from the same place of aliens. I would, I would much rather deal with that aggressive dog that comes yeah. into this clinic than dealing with the aggressive cat. Like, that cat is starting to get mean. It's like, let's just sedate it. Like, I don't want, I don't want to fight with these things. Yeah. I feel like I have built up a tolerance for aggressive animals. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to say always, but, like, who if I'm on the floor and someone is asking like an aggressive dog, aggressive cat. They're always like, "Hey, Autumn, can Autumn, you come try this?" Autumn freeze? is my German Shepherd and, uh, whisperer. <laughs> yes, I I have been titled the German Shepherd whisperer. Hmm. Yes, I, I I guess I don't like if they need sedation, they need sedation. But I'm yeah. not afraid to try. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I I know my boundaries, so I'm not about to get myself hurt either. So. Yeah. So I guess for that, then let's let's maybe go back to a little bit more of just the fundamental roles. What is your favorite things about your job and what are the least favorite things that you have to do? I really enjoy um, like running diagnostics and hospitalizing patients and like actually getting to do hands-on things and helping these patients that are here and are clearly sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, because when I started here, I didn't know much at all. Like. I was going to say, you came out of basically not having any experience at all. Yeah, Yeah. 
I learned a lot from working here. I was also in school. Yeah. But I, I learned a lot from just being here in general. And I really like to take the things that I learn because I still learn a new thing every single day. Mm-hmm. I like to take the things that I learn and put them into my day here and try to mm-hmm. try new things. And like I said, look at cytologies and do things that I'm not great at, but I know that I'm getting there. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the opportunity to learn things here. Um, and like, I'm constantly asking questions always. So, and like I said, no one's gonna not answer them. So they're going to be answered. Mm -hmm. So I I do learn a lot. That's probably one of my favorite things is just continuing to Mm -hmm. learn new things all the time. What don't you like? What don't I like? Um, if I'm going to be honest, that's the whole point. I don't love dealing with the humans. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I don't love it. Um, some of them are lovely. Yeah. And then some of them are just rotten. Mm-hmm. They are so hard to handle. And it that's probably... I don't mind doing it. I'm capable of it. I can handle a mm-hmm. combative caregiver. Mm-hmm. I just don't love to do it. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? So, like, because, you know, that's that's more my world, right? Yes. Like, I, I always say I could never work up front. No, I just that job is so hard. It's a different. It's a different role. Yeah, yes. that's actually so. Um, long time ago, like literally after the first year that Paul Hills was founded, um, the 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 line in the sand was drawn that if you work up front, you work up front, and we're not going to have this commingling of role between caregiver support and medical support because it just. You, you say things different ways and you're really not able to focus on either side the right way. So if you're, if you're able to focus on the front end and that's what your skill set is at, like it's very doable. It's very fulfilling. Um, it is difficult, but that's a part of why it is fulfilling. Right. But then on the medical support side, it's like, I, that's not my skill set. Like talk, you know, having that initial conversation or education process with caregivers is not where I'm good. Um, and I'm or necessarily where I'm even interested. Um, and that's an interesting hurdle that I think even Annie just continues to try to get over just because people apply to work at a vet clinic and they assume that it's that blended reception support mm-hmm. role. Um, but yeah, no, it's difficult. But if you, if when you talk about difficult caregivers, how, tell me how it is that you kind of get through that because I have all of my own ways of doing that. But if you have somebody that's combative, what do you do? Um, depending on how they're being, mm-hmm. I, if they're like going to swear and like being awful, I'll just like leave the room. That's mm. not my problem anymore. Have a time um, out. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, need, I need a break from yeah. myself. But yeah. if they're just like grumpy or mm-hmm. just not the most polite people, then normally I just get in there, I tell them what I need to tell them, if they need to sign something, if I just need to like yes or no, whatever they're deciding, I'll get that from them, and I'll say, okay, thanks so much, you'll hear from us, and then I just leave the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'll ask, do you have any questions? Normally yeah. they just like don't answer you, Yeah. and then I just say, okay, thanks, and then mm-hmm. I try to be kind, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be rude, mm-hmm. even though they are, but um, normally I just kind of get out of there as quick quick as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Molly? Like combative caregiver. I know we've talked about it in the past, mm-hmm. but just so Molly's can, a little more confrontational. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess how do you how do you deal with it? Um so normally I don't get pulled in until especially it was this last weekend I got pulled in a couple of times for difficult combative caregivers and it's just like 
And each time they came up to me, it was like my head went down and I just like walked out of the treatment area and I heard everyone behind me being like, oh God, here we go. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's pretty much when I get pulled into it, it's the the last thing that happens and I go in the room and it's like, here's what's happening. Here's how this is going to go. If you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah. Yeah. It I, like so, but it takes a long time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes a lot to have to essentially lay down the law yeah. because like I've always, so when I was training caregiver support and even just working up there, the way that I kind of boiled it down, and I'm not going to remember the five, but it was basically like caregivers just have to follow like five rules. Like you have to be okay with patient separation. You have to be okay with the triage process. You have to be okay with consultation first. You have to be okay with paying your bill at the end of it. And there might've been, I think there was one more in there, but I can't remember what it is. But it's like, if you just play ball on those simple things, you just Mm -hmm. lean in and just be like, this is how they do it. There's never a problem. There's never a problem. So how do we get people to get to that point? Well, the first is education. Like, tell them that all of those things happen. Yep. Because if they know that before they get here, and that was actually an interesting thing that Ray brought up yesterday, um, and again, glimpse into the future, is that apparently we're having a lot more, like, just legit, like, walk-ins. Like, mm-hmm. referring oh, yeah. vets are just being like, just show up at PAW. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that learning curve is so much steeper in person. It's so hard to get somebody to be like, I'm all in on all of these rules that you guys have to operate by when I'm standing in front of you. And my vet thought it was an emergency, but it's just a ear infection, like an external ear infection. Like it's treatable. <laughs> like we're, we're doing good. Yeah. We're stable. Not to say that that's a problem that shouldn't get fixed, but we're stable. Um, but when you talk about combative I think that's something that gets cited a lot. And I don't know where you would put that on your list of things that you like or don't like, Molly. Um, But, like, to me, that's the thing that I think deters a lot of people is actually having to deal with people. It is one of the things that I have noticed, whether it's caregiver support staff, medical support staff, CBTs. It's something we all don't enjoy doing. Even myself, who has Autumn said, I am more combative than some of the other staff that are around here. But... I would just call it assertive. Assertive. Okay, yeah, that sounds a little bit better. <laughs> I don't, did I say combative? For you Molly? said combative caregivers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I not Molly. You, I don't know if I described <laughs> I you as combative. However, I mean... <laughs> if the shoe fits. Exactly. There we go. But, I mean, it's something we none of us enjoy having to deal with. Like, it's, yeah. it's unpleasant, and caregivers can be rude. I had... Ray and I were in surgery on a critical patient. We ended up actually having to call Carlo in after he got maybe two hours of sleep in between our phone calls to him about that said patient. And I had another caregiver who showed up when we were in surgery. And, of course, Carissa checked him in, told her all the correct things. And this caregiver was being downright disrespectful and rude. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, then I had to leave the surgery suite, go outside to just be assertive with the caregiver. We were fine and dandy. About two hours later, when Ray is like closing the dog on the table, she comes back in and is just swinging. Mm. Like she's swearing at Jer, and I gave him a heads up, like, "Hey, if you have issues, just come get me." Yeah. And I ended up walking into the room that we put her in, and it started the conversation with, "Are you kidding me?" Mm-hmm. And it was just basically, "I told you we were in surgery. I told you this patient was critical. Like, yeah. what the fuck were you doing?" <laughs> And then it was, um, then she started getting worse and worse. And I looked at her, I was like, Dr. Burris will be in with you in a minute. I was like, and I walked out. Mm-hmm. Told Jero, I was like, have her pay her invoice. She's no longer allowed back. Oh, yeah. 
I was yeah. like, at that point, like, you call, pulled me out of surgery twice on a critical patient mm-hmm. for me to come deal with your bullshit. Like, yeah. walk back. I was like, Ray, go consult and that. Oh, yeah, by the way, at the end, tell her she's not allowed to come back. Yeah. And the caregiver was like, well, okay, I don't plan on coming back. It's like, you say that now until it's 2 or 3 in the morning and your patient needs us. And we're like, no. Yeah. So. It, it, yeah, that's that's always a, that that is like the last ditch. Like yeah. nobody wants to do that. No. At all. Um, but there's a, re- that is a very real reality of, um, would you do that to your accountant? Would you walk into your accountant's office and be like, I have an urgent tax problem that can be dealt with in a month. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you wouldn't. And you wouldn't go and swear at them over something that is, that they have out of their professional opinion deemed non-critical. Um, when in fact there's other critical things that are happening. Mm -hmm. So it's just not something that's, you know, when you think about other service-based industries, um, it's, it's less frequent. It's not impossible that it happens. You know, my favorite comparison to our world is an auto mechanic. Like the similarities are just ridiculously stark in case you weren't aware. We are essentially in, uh, we're a shop that fixes furry vehicles. Um, <laughs> it's almost identical, you guys. Um, but, but yeah, that was, I, that was actually my first job when I was in high school as I worked in an auto shop. And that was the thing that nobody wanted to deal with was the, the upset vehicle owner. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 to me, that's kind of sad, right? That it's like we get, we have people that are, you know, I think about our, the people that apply, the people that are already working here, have worked here, highly altruistic, highly empathetic, really do have like golden hearts inside. And they just like the people just see it as an opportunity to kind of take advantage of. Now I'm not going to say that it's always from a bad place either. Like I do like to give caregivers the benefit of the doubt because they're going to show up concerned, confused, you know, they want the best for their patients as well. That's why they're here. So that's why we do give them that time of day. Um, but also like there's a, there's a limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that limit gets crossed, I think that's one of the big things that kind of pushes people out uh, of any, any role in this organization, but especially from that support side. I've been very, very understanding. And I don't know if Autumn's ever been to our clinic with an emergent patient or one of her own animals outside of working here. But I know what the, those caregivers are going through. I understand the confusion and the concern and, oh, my God, I can't be by my patient right yeah. now or my cat or my dog. It does feel weird. I mean, it. I think it also is coming from a point of, oh, normally I just walk through that door and I go to work, but I can't go yeah. back there right now, and that's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I absolutely know where you're coming from. I've been yeah. here with my cats before, and it's weird. It is, it is, it is <laughs> weird, but it's even before I worked at PAW, both my cats ended up, conveniently at paw with emergencies mm-hmm. one was when casper got extremely sick and it was like well what's going on no one has updated me for two yeah. and a half to three hours and i yeah. think it was joe was the reception the only receptionist we had at that time but mm-hmm. um it pretty much came down to like i understand where you're coming from this is a new process this sucks mm-hmm. but it is what it is mm-hmm. and everyone's like you don't understand you don't understand it's like but we do we, just because we work here doesn't mean we're allowed mm-hmm. to be with our animals. Yeah. So. Yep. What about for you, Autumn, in like going back to like the the, t- the stuff that's hard? What's the, what's another thing that kind of comes to mind um, with your job that is one of those things where you've like you've left here and it's been like, man, why do I put up with this shit sometimes? Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess sometimes there are like heads budding in the treatment area, like okay. mm. coworkers, mm-hmm. and that stresses me out because I do my best to be a mediator, mm-hmm. and I want to be like everybody. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like let's get along. Let's mm-hmm. help do our job, get out of here, and then we can go home and chill and you'll come back tomorrow and it'll be fine. However, that is not how a lot of people's brains work. Mm-hmm. And they're, that's all they're focused on throughout the entire day. And it's it's stressful for them. And I understand that. But, like, mm-hmm. I try so hard to make it better and I just don't. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the middle of things. Yeah. Like, can you guys be happy? <laughs> <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. Um yeah, so it's I, sunshine and rainbows with you. <laughs> it's 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 but it's it's out of a place of I, like I concern. Want mm-hmm. I want our everybody here to be on the same page. I want things to move smoothly. Yeah. And when there's like issues going on with the team, mm-hmm. things aren't moving smoothly. Mm-hmm. Like no matter if we are getting patients out of here, it's just like. The process of it is not fun for anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's between medical staff or someone in the back and a CSF up front, or there's just not communication happening, it's mm-hmm. like, let's get on the same page and then it'll all be fine. Right. But that's not how it's looked at a lot. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm annoyed, so I'm not going to talk to you. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's just making it worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That drives me crazy. But mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Molly? What's the, what's the thing that, um, gets you to ask yourself like man i really put up with a lot of shit and i like like what what is what are the things that kind of stick with you that are like frustrating or tough about what it is that you have to do it's hard to say things that stick with me because i have such that like that you can scrub things off pretty fast yeah just yeah it basically boils down this to the same thing um coming from the someone who runs triage i know i have a lot of people who i can piss off pretty fucking quickly (laughs) whether it's medical supports uh caregivers caregiver support staff or whoever but um i i hate it when people question or i shouldn't say question like it's fine to question and have a collaboration on decisions i'm making either if it's a medical staff coming to me but i do hate it when everyone has like a bug up their ass about something that doesn't make sense. And it's some stupid bullshit that we can't work through. Give me, if, if it is possible, give me an example, like give me some context behind that. Because like Molly saying that there's just some bullshit that we just can't get through can mean a lot of different things. Um, so uh, it happened actually with Ray and I, uh, quite recently on one of the shifts we were working, we did have a medical staff that it wasn't like, trying to collaborate with us on the decisions we were making for triage at that time when um, Ray and I kind of kicked it into high gear. We had three critical patients all walk in within a 15-minute window. That's great. Um, And then on top of that, like nine other sick patients came in in the same time frame. So her and I just kicked it into high gear, and then we had a parvo patient um, caregiver that wasn't following protocols and kept coming inside. So then it was like, well, now we need to shut, like, now we need to clean. Like, yeah. this is a huge clinic that we have to clean. Um, so we were trying to get patients out of the clinic as quick as we could with still giving a medical treatment. And then on top of the contamination we had, we had a nine-litter puppy wellness that was in the clinic. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank God they were isolated, and we took precautions to putting the nine-litter puppy wellness that was 
that came in and the pregnant dystocia dog that was giving oh, birth at the no. time. So we were able to isolate them before it all went down. But there was staffs that staff members that were questioning the decisions her and I were making. And it wasn't like a collaboration part of it. It was mm-hmm. just being blatantly yeah. argumentative and yeah. disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason that I wanted to highlight that though, is neither of you have cited anything about your job that you dislike in regards to the medical portion of your job. That is true. We didn't. Not a, not once. Mm-hmm. It didn't even come out. Uh, not even. That's what I said. I like about my job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Aspect. So to give you now that I've identified that it, it, within the actual treatment area, are there things that, you know, as it relates to specific job responsibilities that maybe aren't as fun or things that you enjoy? I mean, there are things that definitely aren't as fun, like Mm -hmm. going and cleaning kennels and picking up poop outside (laughs) and like those kind of things. I mean, those, I would not say they're fun, Yeah. but they have to happen. I Mm -hmm. don't like, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, as we discharge, we clean the kennel. Like we try Mm -hmm. to keep the, but sometimes that just doesn't happen. Like it's too busy. There's not enough people there. Mm -hmm. Um, So then you go in the back and the whole hallway is just like a disaster. That is one of the main downfalls we have on overnights. You coming in at eight in the morning and it's like, that's a lot of it. It's like, okay, I'll be in the back hallway for the first 30 minutes. Everything in the treatment area stays pretty well clean. And it's, with yeah. it being myself and one other medical staff and a doctor, and we're slammed and we're whipping through 15 patients from 2 in the morning to 8 a, eight a.m., which I think we ended up doing that on Saturday. Unfortunately, the kennels got got let go, and we were trying to do our best to keep up with them, and mm-hmm. it's just like between Heather running and whipping through pace, cases and trying to get animals out of here and mm-hmm. all of this other stuff, like the shoe got dropped on that aspect of it. Well, and that's a part of the reason why there's 99 of them yeah. that are in the clinic. <laughs> like, like there's an acknowledged reality that it's like when, when the shit's hitting the fan, mm-hmm. like you have to make concessions on behalf of the patient. We definitely did use our downtime to try to like get things cleaned. Yeah. But we all know how fast Heather can move occasionally. So it's yeah. like by the time we finished getting one patient's diagnostics, like ran and set up Heather's back with another patient that needs an estimate and diagnostics ran. So it's like we tried, like the shoe drops on something yeah. as long as it's not patient care. Like, right, right. Kennels are easy. Yeah. So then, so I always go through this process because um, most people generally don't think in terms of why first. So actually that book that's on the shelf that says start with why highly recommend everybody reads that book. The link's been in the description of literally every podcast that I've ever done. (laughs) He also brings it up in every podcast he's ever done. (laughs) I just bring up something that Simon Sinek has written in every podcast because there's three books on there that he's written and they're all great. But um, in the in that book, he talks about basically uh, it, it, he he looks at it from a marketing perspective. Like, how do you craft your marketing message? Do you go from what we do to how we do it to sometimes why we do it, or do you work inside out? And when you start with why, everything else kind of makes sense. So for us, we always do. Like, I don't know if we typically it's not something that's like super identified as like the, the why, but serve the patient is that thing. Here to serve is that thing. So mm-hmm. why is it that we do the things that we have to do, even though they might not be necessarily enjoyable, i.e. going out and, you know, picking up poop. Mm-hmm. It's not something typically that people are like gung-ho about, like this is my favorite part of my job. Mm-hmm. 
but you don't question it either because it comes from that place of, of why. Um, now that's from, you know, kind of the, the, the entity of paw health kind of being like, well, if you're going to be here, this has to be a part of that equation. Right. Mm -hmm. But everyone also has their own personal reasons. And when they're in alignment, things go well. Why do you want to work here? Autumn. Why do I want to work here? Mm -hmm. Um, well, first I just enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I have worked at jobs where as I'm driving there, I'm just sobbing. Like, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, I was a CNA yeah. for a while. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, those little old people, love them. They can be mean. I worked in the dementia unit. They forgot about it the next day. It's fine. <laughs> they um, forgot about it in 10 Well, minutes. if they hated me now, they won't later. So, it, like, yeah. it didn't hurt my feelings. Um, but I would, like, sob on my way to work. Yeah. I had such a terrible experience. And then I worked at other places. I worked at Target, before, like, in school. I was so bored every day. Mm -hmm. I walked up and down the aisles. I organized the shelves. <laughs> I helped people do their things. And that mm -hmm. was that. Mm -hmm. We had... It was boring. Mm -hmm. Like, I would watch the alarms on the clock just turn. Mm -hmm. It was so slow-paced and awful. <laughs> um, not that if you like Target, it's fine. <laughs> but... Um, just so non-confrontational <laughs> about... Well, Everything. Well, I worked with so many people that loved working at Target. <laughs> and yeah. they are allowed to love working at Target. For me, I had an awful time. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoy, I do not cry on my way to work. Mm -hmm. Ever. I have mm -hmm. not yet, at Just least. maybe on her way home after some days. <laughs> um, maybe. It's, it happens. It happens, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, and I am never bored. Mm -hmm. Never. Like, there could be no patients on the bar, which has happened maybe once in the last, like, three months. But, like... <laughs> I just... My, just yeah. did that. Just knock on, yeah. knock on wood for all of the people yeah. downstairs yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, we always... Whether it's a slow day... A slow day for us is we have ten patients. Like, and we're working through them, mm -hmm. and they're getting out of here. None of them are, like... Ten critical. patients in-house currently. Yes. Yeah. None of them are critical. They're all, like... Yep. They need... They're... Here for issues. Yeah, yeah, we're working through them. We're getting them out of mm -hmm. here. Treatments, go home. Um, that is like your average day, and that like keeps you busy, but also you have time to clean. You have time to stock. You have mm -hmm. all of these different things that you can be doing. Um, and when there are no patients here, it's normally like the calm before the storm. Mm -hmm. So it's like stock everything, mm -hmm. make sure everything is clean, there is nothing that we're going to need when the next critical patients come in. They're going to, mm -hmm. that we're not going to have. Make sure everything is ready. So it's like, no matter what you're doing, you're doing something. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. there's always something to be doing. So I don't get bored here, mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. I don't like being bored. I like the difference from day to day, too. Because even though there is always something to do, it's not the same things you're doing every single day. There's always different things mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you have, because you, you went to school for, I don't remember the actual specific name of the program. It was actually Large Animal. Oh. <laughs> well, it's had an animal in the title. Yeah, it is animal. Um, did you have, you know, so you went, you had those couple jobs beforehand. Were you working while you were in school or like kind of to walk me through the process of how you went from, you know, autumn with no experience to autumn in school to autumn working at PAW? 
So I, I can't remember. Uh, I think that I started here not too long after I enrolled in school mm-hmm. or like the program. Cause I was in school for a long time. I just had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Live that it was life. One of those. I just wasted my money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I figured it out. And then I started here like a couple months. So all I had learned in school is like some terminology and like, you know, your general mm-hmm. things, some anatomy, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, felt like I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got here and they're like surgical packs. I was like, what are all of these things? They all look the same to me. <laughs> they're all made out of stainless steel. Yeah, they all have <laughs> what I had never I didn't know anything about tools. Mm-hmm. I knew yeah. none of that. And that was like that's one of like the first things that you learn. So I remember Annie was like, so do you know any of this? How about this one? How about that? I had like, none. No nope. <laughs> Just no. I don't know any of them. Mm-hmm. So um I started here with hardly any knowledge. I went, before that, I worked at Target. Before that, I worked at A&W and a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this was my first, like, career-type job. You yeah. can make careers out of whatever, but, like, oh, yeah. this yeah. was the only thing I had viewed as this could be a career for me. Mm-hmm. And I joined the PAW team with the not having the intention of staying here forever. Yeah. I was like, let's see what happens. Yeah. This is my first job in the field. Maybe I'll hate it. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll change my major again. What's mm-hmm. new? <laughs> <laughs> Just waste another bit yeah, of money. Exactly. I've yeah. been doing it for so many years. Why not continue? Um, and then I just ended up really enjoying it. So I mm-hmm. stuck with that. I am now done with school mm-hmm. and I have just, continued here and now I do see PAW as like a career mm-hmm. um, whereas I didn't before but also from the PAW that I started at to the PAW now I've been here for like two and a half years yeah. so a You're lot kind of old school a little bit of old a school little bit old, mm-hmm. a little bit old school bit but old like school. not old old school yeah like we were still busy we were outgrowing the old building mm-hmm. but like nothing like we are now so Mm -hmm. i feel like as i get better at my job Mm -hmm. they just keep throwing things at me and i just keep getting more things that i can like learn how to do by myself and Mm -hmm. continue on so i feel like i just am not going to get bored here which is wonderful Mm -hmm. um and i don't really intend on leaving i mean we'll see what happens but like as of right now Maybe I'll want a different career. <laughs> well, you can't shut the door on it, right? It's you like can. you don't actually know what's happening exactly. tomorrow. There is in the, the like the statistical inevitability of career change is just like, well, I can't say that I'm going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. Now, I I actually I'm what is your empl- employee number in Impromed? Is it 126? Do you know? How do you not know? How do you type things in? I know. Yeah, but you you don't count, Molly, because you're cheated. How would you know? How did I cheat? Yeah, you guys don't know these things? How do you type? How did I cheat? When you type in medical records and you got to put your operator number, do you find your name or do you find your number? My name. I do. I have you. I I guess you get A, so it's like right up at the top. I'm A, you, and I'm I'm the only A. I would be two. Like, my number is two. Yeah, but that's... How is that a cheat? That's what I've always had. Yeah, but I don't think you were the second staff person. Well, I don't either, but I don't know why I got it. I don't know either. I think Carlo just got a buck up his butt and was like, we're going to start over with the blanks. I know why I'm like at the top of the list of the employees. I think I'm in the 100s. I'm pretty sure that it's 126 because you started like a week before I did. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. I started I, before you? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, just barely. News mm-hmm. to me, okay. Yep, yep. I th- I'm pretty sure that it went, like, you, Kenny, me. All within, like, two weeks. Oh, Kenny. I forgot about Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely worked with Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I was, I, was just a, I was just curious. Because you talk about, like, how long you've been here. But, like, yeah. Um, it doesn't growth. feel like that long, but I guess I am one of the, like... That was 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the older I, medical I got, staff. I got six years coming under my belt this, I think, October <laughs> mm-hmm. or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. You're real old school. Uh, not, not as old school as Trevor. No, not <laughs> as old school as Trevor. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, you know, with, with all of that, too, you talk about growth. You talk about, like, um, never being bored. Is that something that you always knew was attractive to yourself? Like, just like what motivates you? What really kind of just keeps that drive going? Or was it kind of accidental that that made its way into the things that keep you motivated? I think I knew that. I did actually. I left one job. I worked at a brewery when I was 14. Mm. And I washed dishes and cut potatoes. Yeah. And that was my job. Yeah. That was also boring. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> sounds boring. And it was like Friday fish fries. So I have to like scrape the fish gunk off the side of the bucket. Oh, it was awful. Anyway, um, that job was boring. And then my next job was A&W. A&W was always super fast paced. I actually, I loved working at A&W. Mm-hmm. Like throughout high school and the, even the beginning years of college, I went back on the weekends and worked there. Mm-hmm. And that is when I was like, okay, so I don't just hate working. Yeah. Like, because everyone, you, well, everyone tells you, oh, jobs suck like i would rather just stay home and i like yes i mean i like to be home but also jobs don't have to suck yeah like i was just under the impression so this is what i'm gonna have to do for my whole life sit here and scrub fish guts off of buckets (laughs) like (laughs) yeah you know just boring yeah yeah and then I worked at A&W, and I had a wonderful experience. I had great coworkers. We had a pretty good team there, and it was fast-paced. And I was mm-hmm. like, I could handle this. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, like, A&W wasn't my, like, lifelong goal. Uh, right, right. So um, then I moved on, and I was like, okay, food service, customer service, Target will be the same. No, 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 no. However, Target got crazy at Christmas, but that's a different story. <laughs> That's because you go from black. You go from like Black Friday into Christmas, Dude. and everyone Ooh, gets a little I cranky. Security on Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? How, yeah, wait, why? Wait, 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 how can you work security? You're like I was in electronics, rainbow and shine by the TVs. <laughs> Do you think I'm gonna stop? Some big human running with a TV because I don't think so. I would love to actually just see like see someone trying to steal something from Target and seeing like Autumn just running right behind him and you taking him the fuck out. When they because we had like special T-shirts for Black Friday. Yeah. yeah. When I put that T-shirt on and I wore it to work on Black Friday, all of my coworkers looked at me and they're like, "You had a security T-shirt? Why?" Because they gave me one. <laughs> they like, wanted me on the team. I guess I'm big and strong and scary. I don't know. Here's on being like, they'll catch you at the front doors. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I just get on my walkie-talkie. Hey, they're headed for you, by the way. <laughs> I'm not chasing them. <laughs> big guy with a TV. Of <laughs> course, it can't be a small guy with a TV. It's got to be the big guy. Yeah. Well, I'm, I could maybe stop a small guy. <laughs> I'm not even going to try if it's a big guy. All I'm going to do is just trip him. It's like when you're running away from a bear with your buddy. You don't have to be fast. You just have to be faster. 
You just have to, you just got to be coy. You yeah. Gotta, you got to think your way <laughs> I, through it. I knew the paths. Right. Yeah. Right. You could cut through that baby clothes section yeah. and just head them off right at, <laughs> right at the, right at the carts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what, what else do we got? Yeah. Because like what, what I really would like you to do is essentially sell me, uh, cause you just said it, right? Like the medical support staff position is not just a job. I, th- I think there's there's a more innate understanding of technicians that it's a career because there's there's ex- more extensive education there's certification there's continuing education like there's all of these niceties and things that happen that like well this is what I do like I define myself in one way by my career right like in my careers I'm a certified veterinary technician or if you're in a different state veterinary nurse. For medical support, I think a part of it is because they come in at such variable experience levels. I think there's a, a much more significant working experience hill to get up to be like, well, yeah, this isn't just a job. Um, and it's fair if you see it as just a job. Like, I understand, mm-hmm. like, some people see it as just a job. Uh, Caitlin is going to vet school. So mm-hmm. like Along to- with Kim Gums, too. Yeah. Right. So I'm they're sob when they leave. I didn't know. I'm trying to come no up with a plan to keep them both here where they can't leave, whether it's like tying them to the clinic at a central point so they can oh, still work, man. but they can't run but, away. But even like um, you know, Veronica did that. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor did that. It can be a tweener job. Mm-hmm. But how is it a career? Just like the opportunities that Paul gives you or what? I'm saying the job. Now, I know that... Like, the difference between job and career here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think it's, like... I mean, like I said before, anything can be a career if you, like, really want it to be. It doesn't... Here, here's my question, on him. Could you leave PAW and go work in another vet clinic as another medical staff? See, that's a really difficult question for me because I don't have experience in other clinics. Mm-hmm. I... Don't think so, based on what I have heard. I don't, I think that, you know, your wellness, regular, like, general practice, um, how important it is, because preventative care Mm -hmm. is very important, um, I think I would get bored. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't like to be bored, and that's just, Mm -hmm. it's very repetitive, I think. But I'm, that's also coming from someone that's never worked in one, so I could be totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, You're, you're not. I'm not. Have you? <laughs> uh, just during my externship, but I do think that's why I asked you that. Is I think PAW itself is what breaks the definition in between a job and a career, especially for those CSS staff or mm-hmm. or medical staff who don't have the schooling or the license or the training that I have. It is what makes it different in the career aspect. Where if Autumn goes and works in a day practice and it's like repetitive, she's going to get bored. But here. It's a nice company to work for. You mm-hmm. get to be who you are. There is no like. Yeah, there's you no have to, like rules. You well, really. well there's rules, but, but like, you don't have to fit into this stereotypical right. yes. bubble of the mm-hmm. shit that most day practices want you to fit into. You're your own person. You mm-hmm. communicate in your own different ways. Mm-hmm. So, paw in itself, especially for me, my career here and as my CBT isn't within paw. Mm-hmm. If I'm ever to move or mm-hmm. do anything, it will never be in a vet clinic again. Mm-hmm. My career would start and ends with Paw, hmm. just because I know I like one. I don't have Katie and Carlo, and they're yeah. fantastic bosses. And Annie mm-hmm. and the staff and the we have here, like mm-hmm. they're amazing. 
but my career would start and end with paw. I would find a different job hmm. outside of the vet field and let my license go. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That is very interesting. It, it is, but I know I would never find a job like this one. And this, I hold to Yeah, it's such, a very unique place to it's work. Such high, I hold it to such a high standard trying to find something to mm-hmm. match this will never work. Yeah. I would never be happy. I actually had an interesting conversation with one of my best friends mm-hmm. on Saturday. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we always get really, like, existential about everything because we've known each other since we were 12. Actually, we played t-ball together and then took, like, a, a little bit of a break. <laughs> Apparently that was rough going, but um, <laughs> basically I told him, I was like, if I ever work anywhere else, I will work for myself because mm-hmm. there's no way I could ever bounce back or bounce into another spot where it would be right for me, especially if it were like, number one, I'll never work for a large corporation. I would, be, I would get fired so fast. I like, think we all would. I think, I think we all would. Yes. Oh, anyone that's been here for more than like a year, you just you'd accidentally say the thing that you just just pops in your head that around here is welcomed and appreciated because we don't really have that emotional management mm-hmm. in the moment, right? We're not we're not stepping on eggshells all that's all the time. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was basically exactly that. Like I have a skill set that's transferable to a bajillion clinics or businesses. But the likelihood of me applying them, aside from working for myself, where I can do basically the exact same thing in a different context, is almost zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you not look at it that way, Autumn? No, I can I can see it that way. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't have the experience elsewhere to make, yeah. like, a really good comparison. Mm-hmm. I can assume that I wouldn't like another place, but I, I don't want to say for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know, like, we've had animals growing up. I don't think I ever went to the vet with my parents. So, like, I have never even seen the other side of a mm-hmm. clinic. Like, the idea of the vet coming in the room with you and, like, looking at your animal in front of you and you're the one holding it terrifies me. Like right? that. Imagine you had the cat from hell in your arms and you have no <laughs> idea what you're doing as it's, they it's palpate scary. their abdomen. That's painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it scares me. Yeah. So, I... I don't think I would handle that yeah. at all. Right. I don't think I'd let that fly. Or even yeah. now, but like put position yourself in your current role as somebody who has to be in the room and maybe like uh, handle a patient, as Molly's distracting me a little bit, uh, with the caregiver right there, a fractious patient, and you have to, in front of the caregiver... Listen to them. Be like, you're being, you're holding them too tightly. You need to not be so mean, or you need to take it easy. Um, and in reality, it's like that's not how patient restraint works. Like, no. hey man, I've been qualified, certified. Like, I know what I'm doing. Just Im- imagine a different process. Are critiquing your ability to restrain their animal constantly, and that scares me. Because I could get hurt, they could get hurt, the mm-hmm. doctor could get hurt. Somebody mm-hmm. will get hurt. It, it's like, inevitable, right? Yes. Um, I don't know exactly how that's handled, like in another clinic setting when there's like, oh, you don't have to like, you know, the the really painful dog when you go and help them get out of the car. Oh, he's nice. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Th- I feel like that would carry through everything, and I always tell them like, 
yes, I'm sure he is very nice, but he hurts. Right. Let's put a muzzle on just to get him on the gurney at least. Right. Muzzle on, out of the car, on the gurney. Gurneys are also, they're, they're terrifying to dogs. Yeah. Mm. Half of them want to surf. I know, and they're like, so oh, it can't walk, like, so you go to put this dog that can't walk on a gurney, and you can't get him to stay down because mm-hmm. all, four, all, all four limbs still work, and it's like... Well, yeah. we're we're walking in now. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just if that was carried into like <laughs> the actual patient exam and they're oh he's nice, mm-hmm. yes, but he has teeth, he has claws, he's scared. Like cats, they don't leave their ho- well, mine don't leave the house. I don't mm-hmm. know about other people's cats, but like <laughs> my cats don't leave the house when they come here. I would be I would be nervous watching somebody not properly restrain them. Mm-hmm. One of them. If he sees another cat, he'll be fine up until then. He sees another cat, he's going to try to bite. Hmm. He's like cat aggressive. Interesting. Yes, it, t- it was a very slow introduction when I brought another cat home. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it took like two months. I mean, I think you, <laughs> I think you've worked with my cats here in the clinic. Yeah, and both of them, they're very, very nice cats. Casper, as you know, Casper mm-hmm. gets full restrained, like, and she gets a cat muzzle on as a precaution because yeah. this stupid tiny little cat tried to bite me once, and it's like. You get a muzzle now because yeah. I don't like well, I don't even trust him. But it's like we have so many coworkers that their animals just are sassy. Like I wonder who they Nico get it from. was here the other day. <laughs> Hannah's cat. Oh he God, is the sassiest thing. He's, he's, a Satan. Ever he, met. he's Satan. He's he's, <laughs> he's so he's naughty. Satan. I went over to Hannah's house one day where I thought he would be like nice. Uh-huh. No, still Satan. Hannah warned us all in the morning. She was like, "Do not even put a finger in his kennel. I will handle him." I know. <laughs> like, oh. He is. He is like he. He is. He is worse See, than Casper. The the fact that cats, we understand that our cats can be mm-hmm. that naughty. Mm-hmm. Other people don't. They don't see them that way. Because I'm sure he's fine at home. Mm-hmm. Like, when it's just Hannah and her other animals. And yeah. I'm sure he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's how other people look at their animals all the time. They don't understand the difference in mm-hmm. where they are, the people they're around. Hannah does. So she's fully aware, like, warns us, don't touch him. Mm-hmm. But, like, other people don't. Mm-hmm. And then they're not, they're going to tell you he's nice, and you're going to put your hand in that carrier, and he's going to bite you. <laughs> yeah, I, I see, and that's like when patient separation was explained to me at the onset. I was like, this, this just makes way more sense, especially when I actually saw what real patient restraint is. It's like that looks aggressive, like that looks like you're dominating that animal, and in some cases, you are. Because you have to. You have to. But but why do you have to? Right? It's not because you just are wanting to wrestle a dog. It's like no. It's this is the safest way to do this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's the safest way for the patient too. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. For for us also, just because you know you have control over the animal. Mm -hmm. But for the patient, if you if they're like flailing around, flinging themselves into walls, tangling up their leash around their legs, whatever, Mm -hmm. that's not safe. I would rather just. Have them on the floor. Mm-hmm. Get you, them do you, still. Do you remember the post-ictal aggression dog you and I tackled? Like, not like... Oh! Yes. It, it was you, Bruder, and I. Yes. yes. So this dog came <laughs> in for having seizures, and I was conveniently... It just came out of a seizure. Like, I was leaving shift with Ray, and I'm like, where the fuck did Ray go? <laughs> I, like, turn and look, and the double doors are open, and I see Ray pinning a seizuring dog down on the floor up front, and just yells, gurney, to get it in back. But by the time I get up there... Dog stops have, stops having seizures, but then goes to post-ictal aggression, which is something that yeah. can happen after the seizures. Yeah. Right. And it came down to we couldn't touch the dog. 
but it was going to hurt itself. It was going it to hurt. It already had hurt itself in its seizure. Yes. Like, I'm pretty sure it was bleeding. Yeah, so it hurt itself, and then on mm-hmm. top of that, like, we need to look at it. We needed to get drugs on board. Get a catheter yeah, right. in. Yep, so it right. came down to basically, like, um, Autumn and I were able to get the muzzle on the dog, but she couldn't snap it, and, like, all I said to Autumn was, don't let go of that muzzle. I think we were like, and it ended up with laying. Me, it, it ended up with mm-hmm. me like putting the dog in proper restraint, but like my weight and Autumn's weight was on top of the dog, and the brooder came in to get the muzzle snapped on, like snapped yeah. behind the dog's head. But all I yeah. said to her was like, "Don't let it go, because I'm getting bit." Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so my question then, because I would never want to do that, like just personally, not interesting. Mm-hmm. The idea of having to actually perform those acts but that's something that you guys enjoy are motivated to do i think it's a fun story afterward it it, it is a fun (laughs) story afterward but if that caregiver i ray ended up yelling at that caregiver in the lobby because the dog's actively seizing and then trying to bite and she's trying to be like comfort the dog by his face yeah so in situations like that like well i saw a caregiver get bit over that it was a i think this uh, was at the old clinic no, it was at this one. Oh, this it, one? I'm sure it happened before, too. Probably. It was a Bernice Mountain Dog. Like, it, was yes. it was something big. Yes, Carrig- I remember that. It was seizing out in front in the bushes in the front oh, of the clinic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And caregiver was trying to, like, get up in its face and comfort it. And, you know, they they didn't understand yeah. that he had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and he latched onto her arm. That's a Bernice Mountain dog. Yeah, that's a big that mouse. Just got nailed. I'm pretty sure she went to hosp- went yeah. to the hospital. Yeah. And it was like, ma'am, you need to back away from this dog. Like, right. let us yep. get it inside, and we will take care of it. And it was it was actively seizing. This one wasn't just like mm-hmm. aggression, but yeah. that was intense. But but like <laughs> but like so explain that to somebody who's never done that though. Like, is that I mean, is it just a necessary part of the job? Or is that something that you look forward to? Is that something that is like, when it's done, it's like, maybe it was hard, but it's super fulfilling after it's done. Like, what what drives you to just like, because you don't think in that, there's not like this contemplation of like, do I want to do that? When, it's like, no, I have to, but when, why? When Anna and I did the post-ictal aggression dog, there was no thought. It was, right. this dog needs you medications. Need it. Yeah. it had to be right. done. Right. And... Otherwise, though, when it's like something that doesn't doesn't need medications right now, and it just happens to be like an aggressive animal, sedation. Um, yes, but yes. a lot of times, like weights and things like yeah. that, when you mm-hmm. need weights, um, I do actually get like a sense of accomplishment <laughs> when I get this animal out, mm-hmm. and I can like I don't want to say befriend them, but like yeah. Get yeah. them to be comfortable enough with me that I can at least get a muzzle on them. I'm not gonna. I'm not comfortable enough with them to not put a muzzle on them. Yes. Yeah. Um, but like, in order to restrain them, or if it's a cat, get my arm in there and then get a really good scruff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, once I get my weight, if it really is truly that aggressive, I just throw it right back in the kennel. We don't worry about vitals. I or place anything. the patient right back in the kennel. Yep. It's get, watch your it's get your weight and then you're done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 But then every now and then it's like a talker. Like they you, get the, you get the cat that's growling yeah. and hissing yeah. at you and you get a scruff on it and it just sits there. You're yeah. like, well, I guess let's get some vitals while we're here. Yeah, yeah. you do have Hey your, doctor, while I have it, come look at it. You do have your patients that are straight up aggressive and it's like, we're not yeah. going to do anything with these patients until mm-hmm. we get sedation. We, we oh. used a previous weight on that one yesterday because yeah. we were unable to weigh it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it's you get you and then or you have the ones that are super, super bad. And it's like we're going to just send you home with these medications to help mm-hmm. calm them down. And mm-hmm. you're going to come back in a couple days and we're going to try yeah. it again. Yep. Um, yep. So you guys are evading my question, though. Autumn, you kind of said it where there's like yeah. that sense of. Um, oh, yeah. A sense of accomplishment. F- accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Is that the thing that keeps keeps you going? Because this I, is actually something that I challenged Carlo and Ray on yesterday. So I had a really hard time explaining it. So when you guys get the chance to listen to the next one, mm-hmm. I apologize for the 10 minutes of like trying to get these words out. But um, you, you have to what we have to do is we have to explain wh- essentially why we care enough to do this. Like make make it so because what this is what happens is we have we have these processes that allow us the opportunity to not care about certain variables. So patient separation. It's not that I don't have some level. You guys talked about it earlier. Like yeah, it's weird. We can empathize with the fact that patient separation for a caregiver, especially that's never gone through it or is really concerned, is strange. Mm-hmm. But I don't care, right? we have these other processes of consultation first. We have, you know, all of the things that we do, what those processes do is they say, okay, we do these things because we don't care about certain variables. We care about other variables more. Mm-hmm. Right. But what is the, what is that thing? What is the thing that we care about more? Because what happens in these other clinics and what makes it so hard to create processes that, basically tell people I don't care about that thing is they can't justify the decision to say I don't care because they don't know what the thing is that they care more about. They can't define that thing. So for you, what is that thing? I think that I like, like when you aren't able to touch an animal or no one has tried yet, it's like, how do you determine its stability? Mm-hmm. And that's something that freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Like, because if we are able to at least get some vitals on it, not necessarily like the whole shebang, but yeah. like start and make sure that it's okay, mm-hmm. then sure, put it at the end of the triage order. But when it's like something that you're unable to touch and it's like, oh, well, it's here for this, but like, is it okay? Mm-hmm. That freaks me out. So I like to give it a shot and then... If I can't do it, I can't do it. But, like, at least we have vitals, and we can yeah. make sure the patient's okay. And if it's not okay, then it's like, oh, good thing we... Because we've had so many aggressive cats that are blocked. Yeah. And it's like, you don't want them sitting at the end of the triage or right. waiting. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just, like, it makes me feel better to know what position they so, are in. So, right, but here's where I want to challenge and I'm not challenging. I'm just, I'm just maybe saying yes. And right. So you feel better. Well, why? Because you have a deep concern for all of the patients that are here. And you know that there is a possibility that if we don't perform certain things, there's a like a higher likelihood that we triage inappropriately, Mm -hmm. that we miss a variable that's in fact showing that a patient is critical or needs more immediate attention. So we have to do these other things to be able to um, meet those necessities, right? Mm -hmm. So there's desires and there's necessities and what we're leaning towards is necessities. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't do those things, the shit can hit the fan really, really fast. Is that a fair way of putting that? Yeah. What about you, Molly? How do you define that? 
I, I, I agree with Autumn. Like, dogs or cats that come in that are aggressive, a heart rate can tell us a lot about a patient, especially those urethral obstructed cats. Mm-hmm. They come in a normal heart rate, but they're blocked. It's like, could be a somewhat recent event. Mm-hmm. Cats that come in and they're bradycardic, so their heart rate's low, and it's like, well, shit, you're a cat. Your heart rate is anywhere between 130 and 160. Whether we can or cannot get anything else from that, that can let us know you're not stable. Mm-hmm. You can't wait. Where sometimes urethral obstructed cats, you can get an hour or two window mm. on it, depending on what you do as long as their heart rate is still good. Okay. So it all depends. Like heart rate can tell us a lot in the vet field. Right. But that, so then the, the key component to mm-hmm. that is acquiring that diagnostic. Is, is that the right way to put that? Vital sign, acquiring that, acquiring that vital sign. Um, so, so we make certain concessions mm-hmm. for that purpose, mm-hmm. right? So maybe, maybe we have to be, uh, you know, more assertive in patient restraint. I try when I have cats that come in, and there's a potential that that cat could be nice when it first walks in mm-hmm. the door, and then it's just here for a while. There's other cats around. It's aggressive to, right. towards cats like Autumn's cat is. It's patient weight, then heart rate. Mm. And then temp is always last. Yeah, weight is always first. Weight always. is always first because if we have to sedate that, we need a weight. But yeah. it goes weight, heart rate, temp is always last because that no matter what, you're going right. to piss off that cat. Right. But you get a lot of information from at least that heart rate in that first two minutes. Interesting. It also gives you a chance to call over and say, hey, I need you to come listen to this patient too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can't count. Maybe I counted wrong. Something's not right. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like... Do you guys see that, though, from your perspective within your roles as medical sports staff and as a technician, like how essential that role is and the responsibilities that you guys fulfill to the actual patient care process? Like, do you do you actively think about that or is that just something that you kind of understand and just allow the opportunity for that to exist? I don't think that's something I put thought to. Like, like you haven't ever or you just don't like just don't on a frequent basis. I guess I have. Like, I know that, like, numbers are important. Like, I train people mm-hmm. to get the mm-hmm. proper vital signs yeah. and properly restrain animals and mm-hmm. do all of that. So I, I definitely understand the importance of that because I've heard once I train someone and then they're on their own, I've heard back from technicians saying, like, hey, their numbers are off. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something we need to work on because that could be terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, it really could be. Mm-hmm. So it's, I definitely understand the importance of it. However, I don't like on my day to day shift, if I'm getting vitals on something and something's off, I just go to whoever's running triage and yep. I say, This is now up to you. I hand them the green sheet and I say, Put it where you want. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's, that's about that. Like, yeah. I'll show it to them. I don't just leave it at the end of the bar for them to find. Yeah. But like, if yeah. something's off, you get to do with that what you will. I get a lot. I get a lot of medical staff that walks up to me and they hold up a green sheet and it's like, cat or dog, and they say what it is, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. there's nothing wrong double checking. You no, know? And I always say like, that. Like, if you cat or dog. Uh, okay, are we nervous? Are we ex- are we a nervous dog? Are we a, mm-hmm. an excited are we bouncing dog? Bouncing off the wall. Yes, if we're bouncing yeah. off the wall, I expect that dog to have a high heart rate. <laughs> yeah, but if that dog a is fever. laying on the floor, not moving. Right. Where, something where is wrong. Right. Right. So the reason that I asked that though is because from a especially for you, Autumn, the more real that you can make how important that role is, 
typically your your turn time on collaboration and communication is actually a lot less because you have people that again you're generally speaking just from a statistical numbers game more introverts more empaths more people that are conflict averse you're very conflict averse as we've been able to identify in the last hour you should have saw my little chart thing (laughs) Uh, he he did yeah that's where i came from Uh, that's 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 my that's that's my world um (laughs) yeah it's crazy and then i'm yeah yeah, like, into it, yes, like motivated, it like <laughs> let's let's harsh some mellows here. Um, but the more that you can basically say, like, yes, I understand that we are getting a patient weight. Yes, I understand we're getting a patient heart rate, and these are very core fundamentals. It's also what like the whole process is kind of built on. Mm-hmm. And like, if we don't do it well or we have questions, like the whole process crumbles. Like you have to be able to do these fundamental things well. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to mm-hmm. know when you're not able to do them well. So if you have, you know, if you, a paint a panting patient, right, and it's just hard to distinguish between is it between respiratory rate and heart. Rate? I have no Shut idea. Shut the mouth if they're panting. Yes. Uh, Shut the mouth if they're. All panting. I'm saying <laughs> is that sometimes maybe that trick doesn't work. But you're just you just have questions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When there's a purpose behind it. Because you're, you're not necessarily concerned about what it is that they're doing. You've already clearly defined that. You've trained them on how, and now they're on their own. But if they're missing that why component, because mm-hmm. serve the patient is super, super theoretical. Like, you have to – it's so systems that it's, like, to be able to abstract your way into that, like, it's, it's literally on Molly's growth plan to learn how to do that better. Like, that's a part of what it is that she needs, which we're going to touch base on that here now that oh, I brought that up. Because it's been a while. It has performance been. review? <laughs> it, was, it was just a thing on her, on her growth plan. It was a thing on my growth plan. Yeah. yeah, I'm just kidding. So, but the more that you can basically draw the line for them and say, hey, yes, we're getting very fundamental stuff. Mm-hmm. If this falls apart, if we have questions, like, or if, if this falls apart and we don't ask the question, then we are doing a disservice to the patient. We mm-hmm. are limiting our entire team's ability to do this well and to me that's the thing that makes it a career even if it's at um the the more fun you know the medical support staff level which because of the limited responsibilities because of the limited certifications that's how it can start to feel like a job but also it's that first step in a really really important one and if you can be really good at it man is that appreciated i mean i will i will be completely and totally honest in this like yes i have my cbt license yeah but honestly without my medical support staff or my css i'm fucked yeah (laughs) i am straight up fucked like i rely Mm -hmm. so heavily especially on my overnights on my medical support staff even like autumn you've worked a couple of shifts or lapped a couple of shifts with me but i rely so heavily on them to get like help me get my diagnostics set up place iv catheters for me Mm -hmm. do do Mm -hmm. blood draws and before we actually had before we had the staff that could do those things, I was running in 15 different directions. Right. It, right. it was insane. But now that like I rely so heavily on them that they're actually more beneficial to have around mm-hmm. yeah, well, and when, doing shit than I am sometimes. When I first started here, like two and a half-ish years I mean, yeah, ago, I think you were like one of the medical support staff surrounded by like 20 CVTs. Yeah, there were four of us. Yeah. There were four medical support staff and a bunch of CVTs. Yes. Yeah. That has drastically changed yes <laughs> um but like i we i didn't get taught how to place iv catheters or draw blood or anything until i think i just started in the old building when mm-hmm. we moved here is when i actually started doing it mm. 
what mm-hmm. what was that like a year and a half into working here? it was april 20th so um you would have started right around march 1st of 19 so a little bit more than a year Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went an entire year yep. before I... So I really got a chance to learn the fundamentals. Yes. Because that's where we were when I started here. Now that, like, the tables have turned, and it's like, mm-hmm. let's get you guys getting your vitals, and then three months in at your 90-day review, let's see how you're doing, and then we'll draw blood, and then we'll place catheters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's... So we're, like, speeding up and the even, process and because yeah. we need that skill set. And on night shifts, that skill set is hit... For, uh, you they kind of get thrown in the deep end. Carissa did, yeah. Hannah did, Emily and Caitlin all did. Yeah. They all got thrown in the deep ends. Mm-hmm. Conveniently, all three I think started their overnight shifts trainings with me. <laughs> but it's they got thrown in the deep ends. It's like you know the fundamentals. Like I need you to start learning how to do all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Like I need it now right. because I'm one person surrounded by 15 patients. Right. Yeah. So from when I started to the new medical sports staff that are hired now. Um, it's almost like accelerated learning. It, like, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like throw you into the deep end, sink or swim. I, exactly. Yeah. I had a whole year. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause you there. That's not what it is. It's not what it is. We but won't let you fail as long as no. you are trying not yes. to fail. Well, in the, right, <laughs> <laughs> trying not to fail. Well, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yes, yeah, so you have some of those people that just don't want to learn and are enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I think the big thing there though is the timeline in terms of a series of events didn't change. Like we still cover the same bases roughly in the mm-hmm. same order. Like some people come in with a greater level of experience, mm-hmm. but really it's like, you gotta start at square one. You just yeah. have to. And what you're saying isn't that the timeline or the sequence of events has changed. It's just gotten shorter. Exactly. It's just, and it's not because we're cutting corners. It's not because we're not letting people get good at the more fundamental stuff. It's just, better at teaching it we have more patience to practice it on Mm -hmm. we have more opportunity to get better so like for yourself when you're saying that you have these overnight mss that you're just throwing into the fire well that's just accelerating the timeline but you're not letting them just completely just go off and do their own thing either no it's i'm there i'm i'm still there helping them teaching them how to do the things making sure they don't fail yeah. But it's accelerated timeline. Yeah. Gretchen's a perfect example of that, who's had mm-hmm. three years of experience in a vet clinic, so she has the fundamentals down. Yeah. yeah. So now it's learning to make sure she has those fundamentals correctly mm-hmm. to then be like, okay, now we need you to do this because you did so many other things out of order at your previous vet clinics. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. never learned how to drop blood or place an IV catheter, which they had a, like monitoring anesthesia, which as you know is which not Which is only. questionable. Yeah, it's very questionable. <laughs> But at the same time, it's like, let's learn where your fundamentals are so yeah. we can then start developing your skills in the correct direction. Yeah. So it is it is accelerated yeah. now a lot more than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Hannah can even attest to that. Oh, yeah. Hannah and I, she did her, like, mentorship. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was called? I here? think so. Um, an internship. Internship. Yeah. She did started that before I worked here. Mm-hmm. So, like, she was here for, like, a month or so. Yeah. But I, like, started my employment before her. So yes. we're, like, a really weird cross paths. Yes. But Hannah and I are pretty much, like, we've been on the same track this entire mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And we're both still here. And I would say mm-hmm. that we both are pretty good at our jobs. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I would agree. So, I mean, you, like, you, if you, yes. So, I'm. Um, she would definitely agree that it's accelerated now because mm-hmm. it's just things have changed. I mean, the moment Hannah, you and Hannah, like they get, they stepped into this new clinic 
from where we were at the old clinic, it was like here, there, restrain some patients, make some estimates to where they are now. It was this complete 180 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you guys are pretty much going to learn how to do everything a CVT knows how to do mm-hmm. minus euthanasia's rabies vaccines yeah. and yeah. surgery. Yeah. So to go kind of back a little bit, um, cause you talk, you know, we, I think we talked a lot about how you're you, you, actually, we're not going back that far. Um, you talk about advancing skill set, right? Mm-hmm. So you went from one place and now you're in a different place and you're working your way towards the, the, the working into being able to take the VTE, mm-hmm. um, which Wisconsin allows if you're outside of Wisconsin, I don't know how it works, but, um, what are you actually actively working on in terms of improving your skill set? Like, are you talking about VTNE or are you referring to like in, like actual in clinic? Both. Well, I've been like doing actual studying. Okay. Because pharmacology is something I need to talk with. And I think I'm getting there. I've been, I feel like a lot of my skills have been improving just by, I've been doing a lot of like book work. Okay. Like I'll go home and I'll read a textbook and try to Mm -hmm. absorb Mm -hmm. whatever I'm learning that night. Um, but actual, like, in clinic, I think that I'm learning a lot. I, I'm very I'm capable of hospitalizing a patient. Like, I used to get handed just a hospitalization form, and it, or not the form, the, like, treatment sheet. Mm-hmm. And it tells me exactly what I need to do. And now I'm moving into, like, I can make those now. Mm-hmm. So And I get them double-checked just to be sure before I start yeah. shooting meds in an animal but yeah. um, <laughs> right, right. but like <laughs> i can right. make those and i can like take the initiative and be like hey do you want me to like start to finish get this thing started get bolus yeah. get like surgery set up for whatever it may be mm-hmm. um and then also with like the medical support coordinator side mm-hmm. of things i've been trying to well we've been as like a collective team working on putting together like isolation rules and protocols Mm -hmm. and things like that because we isolation is something that we need to pay more attention to um always will be always yes always you can never clean out iso well enough no (laughs) yeah um so that's something that i've been working on and i've been working on like a few different things with carlo and trevor and Mm -hmm. annie on that side of thing as well as like the css so joe and amy Mm -hmm. um so the reason that I asked, though, is the two things that you cited in the things that you don't like about your job were really, really communication-based. I, that's, I've been answering the phone a lot. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That. And I don't, I don't mind answering the phone. I don't, yeah. I don't mind talking to people. But like, how are you getting better at it? How are you, how are you trying to improve the, the um, engagement with a combative caregiver? I if you're not, you're does not. Does it help if I just say that I have less anxiety when I talk to them now? But why? <laughs> why do you have less um, anxiety? I think it's just repetition. Okay. Like, the longer I'm here, the more I see. That's how that has okay. been working. It's just they continue to come, and I am just continue to be here. So I've been dealing with them, and I've been learning what tends to work better. And a lot of times it's like, let me give you a minute and then come back in and be like, okay, do we know what we're doing? And I just kind of give them to themselves. The timeout. Time yeah, basically timeout. Okay. Um, other than that, I I haven't put much like thought into how to improve that. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something I definitely could do 
and in my head, I, I kind of play the blame game mm. with the caregivers are being the shitty ones, mm. and like, I'm here to help them, and you know, I'm okay. I'm the one trying to help them. I definitely do that in my brain. Okay. And I know that that's probably what I was going to say, pro tip, don't do that. I mean, it no. also comes down to the fact that if they're mad because they were given, apparently given unrealistic expectations, do you trust your CSS staff to be like, no, you were informed of this when you walked into the right. building on the phone when you called as yeah. well, these five key points about how our mm-hmm. clinic yeah. runs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I trust you were informed on all of this, so I'm going to. Mm-hmm. not really like you're yeah. not going to backtrack I'm not going to backtrack yeah. it's like nope this is how this works you were informed of all of this two times before you like when you presented and on the phone yeah, yeah. I think that um, there's like a, a victim mentality when it comes to me and dealing mm-hmm. with yeah caregivers yeah which I recognize and I know it shouldn't exist but it does yeah um, and it's definitely something I could work on, but I, it's just like it, I, it exists. I'm and not I think saying... I've noticed, I've learned this about myself today. <laughs> when we've ta- been talking about this. Look at how much podcasts <laughs> make you realize. <laughs> well, you I'm were not, all nervous about I'm, coming up here. <laughs> I've never put like thought into it. I'm always like, yeah. ugh, these caregivers. Like, right. sure, I'll go mm-hmm. in and I'll deal right. with them. Right. But like now I look at it and I'm like, I guess I could try to look at it from their perspective a little bit, yeah. but it's hard to do. I struggle mm-hmm. with that for yeah. sure. Yeah. That was actually, that was probably one of the biggest hurdles for me to get over. And the thing that tipped it for me was you just have to look at it. Like you both are on the same team. Like even cause I've played on enough sports teams to know that people get pissed off, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that the person that's sitting on the other side of the dugout in his fuming or just beating the hell out of the you know the the bat box with their baseball bat it doesn't mean that they don't want to win right mm-hmm. we're all here on the same team we all have the same goal that that person is just handling it in a different way now there's a more appropriate way for mm-hmm. that person to handle the level of aggression but telling them that they're doing something wrong isn't necessarily always the right way to go about it yeah so like just identifying the fact that it's like hey man because uh, actually Carlo did, he, I don't remember, I wish I remembered the episode number offhand, but he, in one of the early episodes, it's probably got to be the first 12. So just listen to the first 12 hours of podcast in case y'all are bored. Um, there was a, an event where a caregiver had brought up, like, uh, he had thought that Grant said that our exam fee was like $600. Oh boy. And he walked in pissed. Like, and he was just, he was Mm. just a tyrant, tyrant. And this was, you know, a couple years ago. And, um, like no one could reason with the guy. He, cause he just came in hot and like, and so what ended up happening was Carlo just took him into one of the rooms before he even looked at his patient. And he was like, Hey man, we got to start over. Like what's happening right now? Because if you don't trust us and, and we don't trust you, like, automatically no one's gonna no one's gonna have a good time nobody's gonna yeah. win and your patient is ultimately the one that's going to lose we, we go to respect we go to collaboration mm-hmm. and we go to accountability right mm-hmm. so if you can if but if you can handle trust and respect like hey we just have to have these two things i'm here for step three so if i walk in with an estimate like hey we are through the we're into the collaboration process but if we lose trust and we lose respect one way or the other so if i don't trust you as a caregiver fail if you, mm-hmm. I don't respect you as a caregiver, fail, and vice versa. 
we can't collaborate anymore. So it's not necessarily something that you integrate into your talk path, but it is something that I integrated into my mindset. Like, I'm just going to trust this person that they're here with the best of intentions. I'm just going to respect them as hard and as far as I can. And then when that line gets pushed ultimately to the point that I can't do it, I'm either going to call Molly. (laughs) (laughs) I seem to be the go-to person for this shit. But it's, you're just better because you integrate that into your talk path Mm -hmm. in a, in an assertive, direct, but also respectable way. Like you, it's not like you walk into a room with the intention of kicking anybody out. No. It's just you know how to say those words in a way that's really damn effective. The last thing I want to do is ever see a patient leave here without the help or the care that it needs. Exactly. And that brings me, then that all circles Mm -hmm. back to that why, right? It's not because I actually care about the caregiver's feelings. It's not because I actually care about their, the the caregiver's separation anxiety, right? Like, because that's a real thing. We could, Mm -hmm. we could do maybe a whole hour on that if we wanted to, but it would get really, really mean. And we're not going to do that. It's, I, I could care. Like, it's, I don't want this to sound mean, but I could care less how the caregivers are feeling in those situations. Exactly. I'm here for your cat, your dog, your right. the, the, the birds, the, as much all as I hate them. the exotics, like all of them. Right. I am here to make sure that, that, that they get the care that they need. But when caregivers become difficult, it's if you can't trust us, then you need to leave. Exactly. And I hate doing that. I hate throwing that card out there to them. But it's a reality of the situation. We're yeah. not going to be able to help your patient if you don't trust us. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why being able to have that why, not just in your gut, but actively like in your head when you need it, is such a powerful tool because it allows you to justify saying things that might not be the most comfortable thing to say. Because mm-hmm. now you can defend it, whether it's to yourself or somebody else, like, hey, yes, I'm acknowledging that we have made concessions on certain variables of the patient care process, most of them emotional, but it's for this purpose. Mm-hmm. And this is why. And you have to be able to trust and respect our people and our process to the point that we can do them well because this is why we're here. Okay? It's these other three things that you're valuing above these things. That's where our disparity is. With the more the bigger a gap we have on those things, the less trust and less respect we're going to have because we're just coming from different places. Mm-hmm. So we just have to make our why really, really clear. And if we have that, then it just becomes easier for the person to either trust and respect us and us vice versa or easier for them to be like, I don't value that. Like That's when you go get care elsewhere because some other clinics will value other variables more. It's, it's funny now because you can actually start noticing and picking out caregivers. You have that 98% of the caregivers that are on the same page as us. And mm-hmm. if you and now that the lobby's open, it's something you can notice. Yeah. If you walk out there, those 98% of caregivers sit in a group. They're laughing. They're having a good time. They're talking mm-hmm. about their patients and why their patients are here. They're asking for updates after consults. Estimates are being presented. And you have that 2% mm-hmm. of caregivers that are off in a corner being negative, rude, disrespectful. They actually get isolated by the other caregivers. And yeah. And yep. it's, it's interesting to see. It's something that I forgot we would see yep. until the lobby started opening. And I saw it one night when yep. I had to ask everyone to go out because of the Parvo incident. Oh, yeah, yeah. 98% of my caregivers were huddled in a group outside. Everyone's laughing. They're having a good time. Mm-hmm. They know we're in a stressful environment, mm-hmm. especially for everything that went on that Joe Remy and I had to talk them through and trying to make sure they understand that their patients aren't at, there's a small risk, but they weren't at a huge risk. Right. Um, and then you had the two caregivers 
Yep. One that ended up getting fired the next morning, and then the other one that was just, whether they were tired or whatnot, they were off in the distance and not communicating mm-hmm. with anyone. But it's like, mm-hmm. pregnant dog leaves with her puppies, and the caregiver's yelling for everyone to come over and look at the puppies and let them pet them. Mm. So you, it's funny, you can actually watch that 98% of the caregivers that's on the same yeah. page as us and 2% that aren't. When I go out to the lobby to grab a caregiver to mm-hmm. put in a room when CSS are busy, yep. um, I absolutely interrupt so many conversations yes. yeah. all of the yeah. time. Yes, they're, and they're mostly, like, super nice. Like, yeah. they're just having conversation, like, in a waiting room. Yep, mm-hmm. it's good luck with your consult. They come back out. Yeah. What happened? Um, yep. Updating each other. Yes, they're updating <laughs> each other on how their patients are doing because they have the same beliefs that we do. Right. Because we explained it and they understand. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the, and the cool part about all of that, right, is all I'm saying is all, all you have to do in the communications that you're already doing is just have it in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. You don't have to integrate it into the way that you talk. You don't have to actively explain to a caregiver why they have to trust and respect us because that's that's a fight waiting to happen that's why we bring in molly because she's really good at just heading off the fight (laughs) but the cool part about that is if you have it there what it allows you to do is expedite the things that you don't necessarily want to do and it lets you get back to the things that you really like Mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm. And it's it's just it's just a tool. It's just a it's just a vehicle to get back to the things that ultimately make this a career, not a job. Because if all you do is get drowned out in the negative shit, mm-hmm. that will be the thing that pushes you out. Even if you love your team and you love where you work and all that stuff, if you just get slammed with the negativity and the things that you don't want to do all the time, that will be the thing that ultimately pushes everybody I mean, anybody out of a job. How many we've seen that so many times here too. Yeah. Between CSS, MSS, CBTs, doctors, whatnot, we see people get caught up in the negativity and it holds them back and it stops them from yeah. excelling mm-hmm. or exceeding at their job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether whether that is for a day, an hour, or a, a week, or a, or a full job tenure. Like, mm-hmm. it, every person handles it differently. Um but if you, I, I always, that was the thing that tipped it over for me and made, made my job up front astronomically easier, was just not necessarily having to say the, right, the words the right way. But like, I really, there was a lot about that job that I really, really loved to do. And when I would have people who were combative, like just walk into that exchange with that, like, I don't like fighting with people. That's mm-hmm. literally not my favorite thing to do. I'll do it <laughs> for the sake of the patient. Um, but when I, when I, when I had that and it was like, no, this makes sense now, it didn't matter. Like I I'd, I'd had to have people get pissed off. I'd have upset caregivers mm-hmm. and it's just water off your back mm-hmm. cause you, cause you just know why you're there and you explain it to the best of your ability and some people just aren't going to hear it. And that's what it is. So that's where I come in. Apparently <laughs> so that's where Molly comes in. Um, what are we, how are we going to wrap this one up? How do we wrap this how podcast up? I normally wing it until we get to the point of no one has anything to talk about anymore. And then I hit the outro button on my little keypad here. But I mean, um, if we wrap it up now, it's going to be a little awkward because you just explained how to wrap it up. So it's going to be That's how we'll wrap it up. (laughs) With this awkward ending of this plateau of what the fuck did they just happen to that? I hope that I helped your growth plan. I will say that because I just did the thing again. I just I, drew the line for I, you. You did just draw the line. I'm understanding the line. Like, I yeah. get it in my mind. And if yeah. you didn't know, part of one of the things in my growth plan is I understand the pop process mm-hmm. super, super well. 
I have issues saying the process or explaining to new people oh. why we do the things we do and why like mm-hmm. I can't explain it very well to them. Well, it's also kind of a hard thing to grasp if you're not familiar with it. Like when I'm training people, I will show them our little chart, which I know we're getting a new one. That one's a little outdated, but um, well, which, we are. Which, there's mean, a lot of charts. I know. Well, <laughs> the, the, the triage process. Okay. Chart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I will explain. This is what happens when they come in up front. They come back here. This, 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 this is what all these little. I always say it's like a really elaborate game, like with all your yes. little. Hexagons. Oh, it is. It is an elaborate game. Yes. That is, I don't even... Okay. I'm actually making the game. Oh. Oh. Actually? <laughs> yeah, it's Oh, be. my God. So, yeah. wait, wait. Are we having a triage game, like an actual yeah. basis of a game? Because yeah. we tried a game once, and it didn't work no, very it's, well. I've, I've got it all. Oh, I've wow. got it all up here. So, we got to get it from here to here, yeah. which is going to be the challenge. Um, yes. So, in Perfect. process, uh, I have a deadline that I have to have it tested and done by as well. So, it'll be done. That's I'm kind of funny. excited for a Paw Health game. Like, we yeah. get the shirt. Like, we game got shirts. <laughs> easy. Easy. <laughs> we got shirts now and all of this. And now we're going to have a yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be. It'll be fun. We're actually. That'll probably be, end up being a podcast of us just playing it and, like, feeling it out. Because, uh, so, totally based on, like, Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer. Okay. So, like, the fundamentals yes. are built on that. So, um, Caroline's to-be husband is also a role-play gamer. And Carlo has years of Warhammer experience. Yes. So we'll put some Merber on the road and we'll make it easy to play. But I, I love games. I, I love do games. too. I love it's going to be good. Yeah, but that's how I've always explained it to people. It's, yeah. it's been a really elaborate game. Yep. And then I walk them through the whole process and they look at me like... Yeah. I mean, now now that we went from linear to non-linear triage, it's even more it's Well, even, that's it's, the issue with that poster, is that poster is very linear. The, it's the, intentionally the, that way. I, I don't see the linear portion of that changing. The, the way that, like, now that we've gone to completely non-linear, which yeah. if I, like, for me, if I think about it, that's how we ran it at the old clinic. Everything was non-linear at the old clinic, to some extent. Yeah, there was also less. Yeah, there, there was Like, less. the volume was so much less. It was like, yeah, we can kind of cut. We can, we yes. can jump this portion and come back to it because we're not going to get lost in the mix that's easy to do when there's five not when there's 25 yes so for me it's like like yep i I acknowledge the posters there but now since we've gone from linear to non-linear those triage one two three and four hexagons don't fucking exist to me anymore unless that patient is discharging or they're critical and i need a doctor on them right away because nothing else matters because when that bar is full of patients doesn't matter what time you walk into that clinic. You are leaving here. You are getting a consult at a triage for. Mm. Doesn't matter what you come mm-hmm. in for. Well, dependent. Y- yeah, but like you, ha- you vaccines, have that. Right. I can move them up, but yeah. it's like no matter what's going on, I'm hitting a triage for for 98% of my patients that right. come in. So it's right. like those four tags don't matter. Like those don't matter to me. And it's like this needs, I use my estimate fulfillment invoice discharge ones. Mm-hmm. euthanasias those yeah. matter to me because it mm-hmm. keeps my place trackers but it's like this elaborate well, and game then the fours of fours are like an attention grabber yeah they're an attention so. grabber so when you because when they come back and they're like oh this patient's all four out the uh four all four then it's like this gets a triage four because it's like you're my priority to get you discharged right. over this limping dog that's 10 down the line still right so right. we still haven't figured out how to wrap this thing up you keep bringing it up and making it awkward so why don't you just wrap it up now? i don't know how to do it <laughs> Like, I, I feel like we have to put a you know, norm- strong statement at the end of this Normally podcast. Normally, at the end of our podcast, we discuss what we're going to talk about in the next one. What are we going to talk so about in the next one? Well, you question. already recorded the next one. What did you talk about in the next one? Ah, no, that's no, cheating. No, no, no. Cause it's I, cause, our next one. Oh, this so, is happening again? Well, sure. you just signed yourself not? up for a lifetime yeah. of this. Oh, so you're welcome. welcome. 
But uh, no, on the next one, I talked to Ray about doing another podcast with her exclusively. We could, we could bring in a doctor, a CBT, and an MSS. And? And do the collaboration <laughs> thing that we do. I don't really know what we would do in that. Like we, could, I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We're gonna do another podcast. There will always be. There more. will be another. There, there will be. be. You heard it from Autumn, so if she never shows back up again, you know where to find her. Right. Right. Email us at uh, podcast at pawhealth dot net to <laughs> complain about, uh, Autumn complain about Autumn's here. lack of presence <laughs> yes. on the podcast. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> I look forward to hearing your complaints. <laughs> That's Autumn's favorite thing to do. Listen to people's complaints about her lack and of presence. And then being very adverse about it and being like, I'm sorry. Awesome. <laughs> That's exactly uh, what I was I guess, you know, to, to try and summarize, I feel like we did a pretty good job of at least explaining what it is that you guys do and why it matters. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like we did that? I feel like it was this big open circle of here's where we started. This is our intention. There to were talk a lot about of it. tangents yes. that, that happened. That's how how it was? I mean, that's that's typically how the podcast yeah. goes. But I kind of yes. was expecting that. I have watched a few. Yeah. So this is how a podcast goes. You have every intention to talk about talking about <laughs> one thing, and you end up. So now I see here. why when I asked what we're talking about, you were like, "Ha, <laughs> we're going to talk." We're we gonna started somewhere. And and we ended somewhere. Yes. Just trying to figure out where that place is. But yeah, I mean, really, uh, it's it's it, every role. Yeah, this is the this is here. I figured it out. It finally came to me. This is why the toppled hierarchy matters. Because mm -hmm. every role in the clinic, at any level of experience or knowledge, certification, whatever, they all matter. They all serve this same purpose, and we all push and we all pull depending mm -hmm. on who we are and how it is that we continue to propel that forward. And it, the, the more that we understand that, the easier it is to understand that roles in these um, positions, I should say, are careers. They're not just jobs. We don't just hire people. We're not warm body hiring. We're not just letting people walk in and just start restraining animals because they think they know what they're doing. It's like, no, it's a deliberate process. Mm -hmm. And we're just, we, we, and I, and I think this applies even outside of our clinic is we have to just start to acknowledge the fact that these all matter. And when they matter, then they're valued more by people that are inside and outside of it. And then that starts to solve the problem of being shorted because we need more of more people that are willing to do what it is that you guys do. Cause I'm not, but I'm also not that kind of person, but I think mm -hmm. that there are a lot of people that are maybe just afraid of it. I don't know. You went to school with them. Where are they at? Um, <laughs> are there people that are afraid of this are. job is my question. I think that the field itself and all of the things that are said about it and mm -hmm. like the suicide rate and the wages and things, mm -hmm. um, I think that scares people away. I don't mm -hmm. know if people are actually scared of doing the job. Mm. I think that they're scared of not being fulfilled yeah. by the job. If you find fulfillment <laughs> in your job. Money shouldn't matter about anything. Yeah, it shouldn't. It can though. I agree. I mean, but I, a lot of I don't look at it that I way. I mean, I wish I made more money. I I will not lie about that. I wish I made more money than what I do. Mm -hmm. Autumn wishes the same thing. She's giving. I think me a everybody look. does. Yes. Yeah. But also, like, I could go get a job that I made more money in. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't find the same fulfillment. But it's <laughs> that it's that we have fulfillment in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So know what's fulfilling to you. And then if it is financial, there are ways even in this world to do that. Go work at New York on 
what is it, Wall Street? Well, I'm saying it, not not like <laughs> not the be- world in general, but yeah. in the veterinary um, industry, there are ways in which you can acquire more income. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to be geographically limited on that front, but yes. it is possible. Yes. But it's but that's not what necessarily what fulfills everybody. Mm-hmm. And you have to know also what actively takes away from that level of fulfillment. And we identified that, right? It's what, what is it about your job that pisses you off? What are the things that hang with you and like haunt you a little bit in the back of your head? Like, man, I really don't want to do that again. And knowing what it is that those things are and either eliminating from them from your role or by delegation, cause somebody has got to do them or figuring out how to do them more effectively or even just more efficiently. So you don't have to do them less or you're better at it. So, if we can do those, then I think the those, you know, the, the the mental health statistics start to improve, the wage problems start to eliminate themselves because we can have more patients come in more frequently, more income means to the business means more income to the people, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, and then it's it's going to be a slow moving process. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not going to solve itself overnight. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to solve itself over the next 50 years. Five. <laughs> I, I'm going to say five. I'm not hopeful. I'm not, I'm not hopeful. I look at what Paw Health did in five years. That's what, yes, what Paw Health did in five years is phenomenal. It's amazing. It's try, a, to, try to replicate that for an industry. Doesn't matter. See, because you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. You just got to look at the trend. It's an exponential trend. The, the, the solutions exist. We don't know what all those solutions are but we know the vehicles by which the solutions are generated. And that's the biggest thing is you have to be willing to collaborate. You have to be willing to be accountable to your shit. And if you can do those two things, the rest is details. Yes. So anything else on them? What do you got? Cap off this podcast for me. I don't know if I have anything. (sighs) I think, I think it's, I think we're capped off. (laughs) <laughs> she's just thinking anything to get me out of this right room, right it is really warm in here so it's very warm yeah here. it happens sometimes yeah. all right well thank you all for tuning in i hope that was an enjoyable circle uh never mind the couple of cuts that i had to put in the middle and we will see you on the next one <laughs>